Welcome back, listeners. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast, the show where I serenade you with stories about humanity's strangest rituals and beliefs. If you're joining me from last week, you'll know that we're on episode two of our four-part series on astrology and romance, what matches and what doesn't. And while last week we explored the fateful romance of two compatible sun signs, today we're adding another layer, your rising sign. To get technical, your rising sign is whatever sign is on the horizon at the time of birth and is also sometimes called the ascendant. What this actually means is that it's your outward persona. If your sun sign is indicative of your personality with friends, family and colleagues, your rising sign is like a first impression or the face you give to the public. And this is crucial in dating and relationships. Rising signs theoretically correspond with your outward appearance, so they play a role in physical attraction. But a rising sign is also just the feeling you get about someone, what you think about them when you first meet them. This prompts an age-old question. Does love at first sight exist? And what happens when that initial spark begins to fade? We're about to find out in the very public world of celebrity. You can find episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Coming up, love at first sight? Or is it just fame? It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Chase Lane grabs his guitar and steps on stage to the roar of the audience. He smiles a coy yet confident smile as if he's been rehearsing it for years. He strums a chord. The crowd freaks. Hello, Atlanta, he says into the mic, his voice booming through a 20,000-seat arena. If you're a superfan, you know that it's actually his fifth world tour, that he's the darling of the music world, highly respected by his peers. He grew up outside of Philadelphia, humble beginnings. His father was a factory worker. His mother sang in the church choir. He picked up the guitar at the age of four, worked at it for years. When he signed his first record deal, he never looked back. He sings with a gruff, yet somehow soft-spoken voice befitting People magazine's crooner of the year. For two hours he does this with no breaks, building to an encore for the ages. Cameras flash all around. At one point, he reaches for a fan in the audience and hands her his hat, signs it on the brim. She nearly faints. The next day, that fan, Jamie Jessup, sells the hat for $6 million and is able to quit her job as a raptor handler at Universal. A week after State Farm Arena, paparazzi catch Chase walking into Craig's in LA with a date. Her name is Gretchen, 
an up-and-coming model. She's wearing Louis Vuitton. He's wearing a button-down denim shirt made by Saint Laurent and his signature Tom Ford shades. Style, to him, is immensely important. Inside, table neighbors watch as he pulls out a chair for Gretchen. Such a gentleman. Then he sits directly across from her and unfolds his napkin in his lap slowly and carefully. She's a little more laid back, elbows on the table, napkins sitting on her plate still while they order drinks. A nearby diner hears her tell him about her ambitions to grow her brand, then use it to write a book, historical fiction. When she's finished, she leans in and asks him what he wants out of life, as if to ask, do they want the same thing? Honestly, he says, taking a sip of whiskey, Johnny Walker Blue, neat. I want to keep making music and have a beautiful partner to return to after a major show. Is that too much to ask? She doesn't respond, taking a napkin to her lips. Not long after, she excuses herself to the bathroom. And not long after that, the paparazzi snap pictures of him leaving, alone. The internet, e-news, and celebrity podcasters all speculate as to why he's still alone. He just hasn't found the one, they say. Dates are breaking his heart, they say. It'll just take some time, they say. Then, one night, a driver picks him up from a hotel in New York, hired by the label. Chase slides into the back seat, sunglasses still on, smelling like Clive Christian Cologne, like style and wealth. He nods at the driver and says, It's a beautiful night for a party. Do you have any champagne? The driver nods yes, points toward the bottle in the side of the car. Chase says nothing else, just pops it and drinks. When he arrives at the loft, everyone at the party turns. He waves and smiles his four-platinum album smile. The smell of cardamom and cinnamon wafting off his neck makes the whole party swoon. For some time, he works the room, charming each of the party's attendees waiting in line at various entertainment stations. A burlesque dancer, a wine tasting, even a celebrity astrologer named Daisy. But later, it's his producer he clings to, Dan Nichols. They hover in a corner, Chase with a rare, serious face. A passing waiter hears a few things, like that Chase's upcoming tour isn't selling as well as he'd hoped. But Chase glances at the waiter, smiles, and says it's fine. It'll sell. Believe me, I'm just getting started with my music. Chase turns to the waiter and orders two shots. Of 1942, please, he says, winking. Chase tosses it back with enthusiasm and ease. Dan reluctantly grabs the glass, but takes it as if he's been doing this for years. Chase puts the shot glass down on a bar table, then looks across the room and freezes. A guest stands by the floor-to-ceiling window, flicking back their lion's mane of gold hair. They're dressed in a nearly sheer, glittery jumpsuit, wearing it as if they deserve notice. Their name is Rue. The story would soon become infamous, that they caught the eyes of Chase Lane, famous, eligible bachelor Chase Lane, and the rest was history. But if you were lucky enough to be at the party, then you might have seen how they pause for a moment as if to strategize. Then they look away for a brief moment and look back, a glowing look on their face. 
He's still looking at them. They wave. He walks over, a man in a red jacket hustling after. The corners of their mouth turn up slightly, like they've gotten exactly what they wanted. From across the room, you can see the sparks forming. Chase walks to Rue, grabs their hand, kisses it gently, and compliments their jumpsuit. Very elegant, he says. They flick their hair back again and say it's a pleasure to meet him. And I do love this jumpsuit. Makes me stand out, don't you think? Dan steps in and introduces them to each other. Rue is our label's rising star, he says. A voice for the ages, very unique. And Chase, as you probably know, is next up to headline Coachella. Rue presses their hand to his cheek. You might be there now, but I'm going to be the headliner one day. Chase smiles. Is that so? You know, I saw there's an astrologer here. Shall we ask her? Out of the corner of their eye, Rue sees a guest's camera phone flash. Somebody snapped a pic. They turn back to Chase and say, Whatever you wish. Chase and Rue walk hand in hand toward the astrologist's table, their hand on his arm. They already look like a couple. Rue beams. Chase smiles coyly. Both approach a woman wearing all white, a turban wrapped around her head. Come, let me tell you what's written in the stars, she says. The astrologer is world-famous relationship consultant Daisy Clementine. Reading her Wikipedia page, you learn that astrology runs in the family and that in the 90s, she wrote magazine articles. Nearly 30 years later, she's a celebrity confidant, often called on for consultations. She points at Chase. Libra rising. Chase nods, correct. And Faroo? Leo rising. She says, you're good, they say. Taking their birthdays, she does both their charts. He's a Taurus, Libra rising, and they an Aquarius, Leo rising. Your rising signs suggest great, great chemistry. You both like being the center of attention, the star of your own shows. Chase, you're charming, a lovebird of sorts. And you, Rue... You are captivating, magnetic, a great entertainer. Rue flashes Chase a look, like, see, told you. Daisy reaches into a box and pulls out an old, dark-haired doll, one that looks as if it's from a past century. But you know, I've seen this once before. Two young people with starry-eyed ambitions, an aspect of their charts suggesting they might achieve greatness together. But they ignored the warning signs, she says, pulling a pin out of the doll's pocket. It didn't end well. Not at all. So look past the surface, amorous lovers. For the rest of your chart spells doom. She pushes the pin right into the doll's heart. Dan stands near the table, watching everything. Rue laughs, their face lit up with amusement. <laughs> what a fanciful idea, they say. Chase stands and reaches his hand out, ever a gentleman. Should we capitalize on that chemistry, he asks. And to those in the room, friends of the couple that would later spill to the tabloids, 
This is the moment that Chase and Rue became not two, but one. Chase and Rue are THE IT couple. That evening, Chase and Rue hit the town together. They shimmer on his arm. He garners their attention. At 10pm, the two grab a late dinner at Carbone, then head to the rooftop at the Standard. In a booth at Le Bain, Rue tickles his chest. He nibbles at their ear, as if hungry. At 3am, he takes the mic from the DJ. They wave him off, but he persists. He speaks to the crowd. Performing for you tonight, Rue. Rue laughs at first, as if feigning embarrassment. Then they stand, and the room hushes, and they sing. It's a low, soft melody, like a hymn. Their voice has the sweetness of a songbird, the power of an eagle. Chase is hooked. At 5 a.m., the club dark and winding down, Rue points to the pool and convinces him to strip and dip. The next morning, E! News headlines read, Chase Lane and a mystery partner take a sexy late-night swim. There's a video attached of Rue singing. Fans are obsessed. That winter, the two are photographed together constantly, holding hands outside a steakhouse in Nashville, backstage for a show in Vegas, getting on a private boat in the Bahamas with champagne carted in by the case. Then, Chase brings Rue on the last leg of his tour. They perform a song with him, then a few solos. The crowd goes wild. Rue's Instagram explodes with followers and their record release is fast-tracked. Selena Gomez's songwriter brought in. When Rue drops their album, it lands at number one. The record label throws them a party, flies Rue and their closest friends to Miami. A limo picks them up from their apartment in New York, Chase already inside of it. The driver watches through the rearview mirror as they slip in, wearing a zebra coat over a tight black dress high off success. The two kiss. Thank you for helping me get here, Rue says. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure, he says. In the back of the limo, the couple kiss, among other things. By the time the limo arrives at Teterboro, their hair is disheveled and Chase needs to iron his shirt. All weekend, the two party. He's king of the shots, Rue's queen of dancing together, Chase and Rue attract exactly the right paparazzi, and come Monday, the headlines are in their favor. The two are America's hottest couple. Except there's one thing. The charts are speaking. Chase's album has fallen out of the top five. It's fallen a long, long way. Chase is seen walking out of a liquor shop with a bottle of tequila. There's rumors about the amount he drinks. In spring, Rue is seen walking down Melrose in Los Angeles, dodging paparazzi. They're wearing tall, cowboy print boots and a hot pink shirt with a paisley pattern, mixed prints only they could pull off. They get a call and glance at the screen, surprised, then pick it up. It's Rue, they say, pausing for whoever is on the other end. Then, after some time, of course, I'll be right in. They're tailed out of the parking lot, up La Cienega and to Sunset. After some time, they pull into the garage of a tall, tall building. The paparazzi lose Rue on the way in, but moments later, the receptionist greets them. 
directs them to the elevator, the 38th floor, the highest in the building. As they leave the elevator, they've got a cool, contented look on their face, all business. They look at themselves in the mirror, stare, think. They're not doing anything wrong by taking a meeting, simply exerting their independence. They wait by a large set of double doors, the head of the record label's office. Dan Nichols lets them in. They sit on his leather chaise, leaning back as if they own it. He asks them if they want tea. They say, no thanks. Right, down to business then, Dan says, swiveling in his desk chair. You called me, they say. Dan smiles, then leans in to Rue, practically whispering. Chase is out for Coachella. You're in. Coming up, are Leo and Libra Risings meet their destiny? Love. It's been the subject of poems, novels, music, and film. It's also been the driving force behind some of the most horrendous crimes in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Join me for season two of Criminal Couples and meet the lovers who took their passion to perilous lengths. Featuring standout episodes from female criminals, serial killers, solved murders, and crimes of passion, this season of Criminal Couples gets to the heart of what makes two turn to a life of murderous crime. Some couples were set off by revenge or greed. Others were fueled by sex and drugs. All acted in the name of love. Discover the darker side of desire in season two of the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Follow for free and tune in every Monday, only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. The day after Rue's meeting with Dan, Rue's new assistant watches them during a dress rehearsal, dancing, practicing a new set. The moves are quick, sharp, and edgy. They wear a gold feather boa around their neck. They're just about to finish the number when the doors fling open and Chase storms in. First, he grabs the boa. You look ridiculous, he says. You're mad about Coachella, they say. I could sue you, he says, fuming. But then he glances at the assistant, aware that someone's watching him. He puts his hand to Rue's cheek. Headlining is a big thing. Are you sure you want to go so big so quickly? Rue glares at him, pupils turning to slits and whispers in his ear, so soft their assistant can barely hear. I can't be tamed, they say, before snapping their fingers, signaling for the dancers to take their places. Chase returns the glare for a few seconds then leaves. The next day, Chase is seen walking in and out of Dan's office. The day after that, there is a new announcement regarding Coachella Night 3. The headliner will be Chase Lane with Rue. The couple does a YouTube announcement together. In the video, he wears a simple yet sleek brown leather jacket. Rue wears a purple fur vest. Each looks like a rock star. Together, legends. As the two speak, chatting about chemistry and collaboration, Rue's hand is on his inner leg. His hand is on the small of their back. When the two look at each other, it's as if a ray of heat connects the lips. 
like there was sex only moments prior. Tickets for Coachella sell out in minutes. For months, the two rehearse and act together. Choreographed, Rue presses their body against his and he theirs. But weeks later, there's a different story. A shopping trip to a San Francisco Neiman Marcus, as told by a salesman in the women's department. Chase points at things on the racks, silk, patterned dresses, cashmere sweaters, tall leather boots. Rue grumbles, slips back on their studded sneakers and says, you know that's not how I dress. He hands his credit card to the cashier. To Rue, he says, it fits my brand better. As the two leave the store, he's holding three large bags. Rue holds none. They've got their arms crossed against their chest. Chase heads straight to the car, walking so far ahead it doesn't even look like they're together. The story is only whispered in small circles. A single picture floats around the internet, soon forgotten about and lost to the ether. But the two aren't seen together for months after. There are rumors that the dancers were required to sign NDAs, and the duo want the show to be a surprise and be bigger than Beyonce's homecoming. Nobody sees them. Nobody knows. And then, suddenly, it's Coachella. Day 3. 10 p.m. The final show. Chase and Rue arrive from either side of the main stage, both dressed in head-to-toe leather. The two meet in the middle, stare deeply at each other. He sings the first verse. Rue dances around him, their eyes flirtatious. They sing the second verse. Chase twirls them and dips them back with more elegance than ever. Later, the two sit together on a bench by a piano, solemn in the middle of the stage. He croons to them, a melody for the ages. They sing back, their voice saccharine and deep. Legs touch, and the two lean in, staring each other deep in the eyes. From the audience, you can feel the tension. All you'd want Chase and Rue to do is slip into each other and hope to be invited in. But then the music stops and the two pull away. The crowd cheers, encore, encore. The crowd wants more, wants to feel the magic again, the passion and the heat that is Chase and Rue. Chase can sense it, it seems, because he smiles his coy smile at the audience, then looks at Rue. They wink at him, knowing it too. Then he takes their hand, twirls them, dips, and brings them back up, then kisses them hard on the mouth and pulls them into his body tightly. If you look closely enough, they're stiff. But then they melt into him, like they did that very first night the two were together. The crowd eats it up. Encore! Encore! But Rue and Chase head backstage, leaving the audience wanting more. Dan sees Chase first, storming off through the grass and towards the artist's tent, maybe to take a quick break, grab some water before the encore. But he keeps going, all the way to a row of golf carts. He grabs one, ignoring the shouts of the venue's drivers, and takes off down a path through the grounds. Rue, drenched in sweat from the performance, looks at Dan, and Dan Rue, as if to say, now what? We've got to get him back on that stage, Dan says. 
So Rue grabs a bottle, takes a sip, and hops in a golf cart, speeds ahead. Dan does the same, pedaled to the metal, as if his livelihood depends on the duo's chemistry. Because it does. Dan catches up to them in a parking lot. They're yelling at each other. A staff member films. At first, Dan moves to stop him, but then thinks twice. It's over now. The public will know about this fight. One more song, that's all I'm asking for, Rue says. Chase shakes his head. No, I'm done playing puppet. Rue points back toward the main stage. You wanted this. Your career needed me to survive. So go back and finish it. I quit, he says, walking off toward the exit. Rue grits their teeth for a moment, hand gripped tight around the bottle. Then, Chase's back turned, they chuck it. It misses, but only just. Chase keeps walking. The staff member stops recording the video, hits post. There is no encore, and no more couple. Their fans are, of course, heartbroken, and no one saw it coming. And why would you? If you only watched them on stage, all you saw was bliss. But a year later, Rue releases a solo album, a breakup album for the ages, as Rolling Stone calls it. In their most popular song, a folk pop ballad that's described as a dagger to the heart, one verse says, appearances can be deceiving, charmers aren't always charming, and love will play tricks on you. On the outside, you saw berries, but you were eating sour grapes. We were a one-night thing, you fools. The rest was all for show. When it comes to dating, you've probably heard the phrase love at first sight, but also the phrase looks can be deceiving. The two can seem extremely contradictory unless you think of your rising sign and its role in love. To start, let's think about what we mean by love at first sight. In 2017, a group of researchers found that, of the couples they studied, most who claimed they'd fallen in love at first sight were really only describing elements of physical attraction. In other words, it's lust, not love, that occurs at first sight. But the biological reaction can make this hard to see. Initial physical lust is driven by testosterone and estrogen, our body's way of telling us to reproduce. Next, when you begin talking to and spending time with the person you like, that's attraction. This is driven by dopamine, the feel-good hormone, making this part of dating as addictive as a drug. Your rising is like those initial hormones. It's the thing that first hooks you or turns you off about a person. And certain rising signs are so dynamic they might seem to overpower the rest of the person or overshadow their negative qualities. Libra and Leo, for example, are two of the zodiac's most intriguing rising signs. Leo risings are bright, energetic, and engaging. They're the life of the party, hard to ignore, and likely to be famous in some way. Libra risings are the charmers of the zodiac sweet, stylish, and easygoing. They're the Prince Charmings. Together, Libra and Leo Risings appear to be the ultimate couple. Together, 
They've got more chemistry than a room can handle. But just like a dopamine hit, it won't last. However a person was on the surface, eventually their true personality will show. Like our characters today, a Taurus will be stubborn and controlling. An Aquarius will be brutally independent and not want to cow to others' expectations. Looks can be deceiving. Yet it's hard for many people to accept this, largely because there's a certain element of romance to the love-at-first-sight thing, and also because sexual chemistry feels so good. Which is why, perhaps, celebrity couples can be so intoxicating. Like rising signs, we only see what's on the surface. We see Ben and J.Lo on the red carpet, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga at the piano, or Hayley and Justin Bieber at dinner. Their chemistry is so electric, we want a piece, but they keep us at a distance. There's almost no way to tell how real it is or if it will fade. And that's good for them, because sex sells. Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. Tune in next week as we get a little lunar, diving deep into the compatibility of moon signs and when to know two people just aren't on the same page. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Superstitions was written by Stacey Lee Nemec, with writing assistance by Greg Castro, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Erin Lan. I'm Alastair Murden. It's been said that love is a many-splendored thing. That is, until it's not. In season two of Criminal Couples, discover true stories of couples who turned their love lives into a life of crime. Lies and deceit are just the beginning. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Catch new episodes every Monday, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.